Well, just a few days ago, I was reading an article that I ran across uh, that was talking about how uh, there is a rise in burnout among young professionals, so folks that are currently in their 20s and in their 30s. And according to this article, the combination of changes in technology, changes in the economy, uh, changes in society had le has led to a situation where uh, these young professionals are often always on call in some way. They're never really clocked out of work. And they're also, on top of that, end up having to work multiple jobs typically in contract work or some other area where uh, benefits aren't really part of the package. And um, therefore, they're often in this state of exhaustion, all without a sense of security that things are going to get uh, any better. So the issues behind that are well beyond what we can solve or even fully address in the, in the, course, of a, in the course of a Sunday morning homily. But today's readings do deal with the ultimate issue behind the issue, the issue behind the burnout itself, not so much the causes, but what's happening there, and that is despair, a loss of hope, desperation, a general lack of peace and joy. So last week, we, in our uh, Trinity Tide uh, uh, battle against vices and our, 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 our walk towards sanctification, we talked about how hope the hope we have in Christ is the antidote to that nigh-universal sense of futility or vanity we have in the world. Well, this week we are going to see that Christ also gives us an antidote to despair and desperation. So please turn in your Bibles to our gospel passage, Luke chapter 5, beginning at the first verse, Luke 5, 1. And you can find this in your prayer book on page 196, page 196 in your prayer book. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were, and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So if your Bible is like mine that I have here up on the pulpit, um, the, the subheading over this chapter will uh, say something to the effect of Jesus calls the first disciples. Simon Peter his brother Andrew, and their business partners John and James, uh, who incidentally may have been uh, first cousins of our Lord. We can talk about that some other time. They were about to be called to be the first apostles. But at this point, in St. Luke's version of the gospel, they didn't know it yet. In fact, for these four men, it was just another morning after a long night of work as fishermen. I've only been fishing a few times myself, and I'm frankly not very good at it. <laughs> Many of you here today are probably a lot better at the sport than I am. But unless I'm mistaken, uh, for just about everybody here, fishing is just that. It's a sport. That was not the case for St. Peter and his friends. Fishing was their livelihood. 
Fishing was what kept a roof over their heads and food on the table. Fishing is what clothed their families. Fishing was their business. And it didn't look like business was going so well here. They had been out all night. Uh, St. Peter says they were toiling at their work, and they had nothing to show for it. That meant they weren't getting paid that day. That meant that their customers weren't going to be able to buy fish from them that day. That may have meant that some of these people, either the uh, would-be apostles themselves or their customers, wouldn't have food on the table that day. I don't know if anybody here has ever worked uh, commission work or contract work, something like sales perhaps, but prior to becoming one of the priests here at All Saints, I worked exclusively as an independent contractor in the residential real estate appraising uh, since about 2003, and I still do um, independent contract appraisal work on the side uh, to this day. Well, for a good portion of my career, appraising was a feast or famine sort of, sort of work. We would either uh, alternate between having so much work that we were overwhelmed or having no work at all. That was kind of just the nature of the business. And after a while, you learn to see the typical patterns throughout the year and you plan accordingly. That's just kind of the way a business like that works. I remember, though, the fall of 2013, just before Heather and I got married, uh, when work all but dried up for no good reason. It was not the typical seasonal slowdown. I did about the same work in uh, three or four months that I would have normally done in two or three weeks. Talk about a scary situation. Um, I, 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 I can feel for Simon Peter and his companions in this story. But of course, that's not the end of the story, is it? So let's pick up in verse 6. And when they had done this, that is, followed Jesus' directions and went back out to sea to fish, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they filled both the boats so that they began to seek. So we see that Jesus does indeed meet their needs. In fact, he meets their need so extravagantly that they were being overwhelmed, even to the point that they were in physical danger. Their boats were sinking. I think it's safe to say that our Lord is not without a sense of irony, not without a sense of humor at times. And at this point... Uh, some may conclude that the passage is telling us that if we just listen to Jesus, well, then he's going to make us extravagantly successful. But that conclusion would be to miss the point of the passage. In fact, knowing what we know about these four men and the rest of their lives, it would be laughable to think that Jesus here was making them materially rich and successful. That's not the point. All th three of these four men die as martyrs. Um, all four of them suffer persecution and poverty for the sake of the gospel. So we need to look at the rest of the passage to see what the scriptures really want us to see. So verse 8, let's pick up in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, that is that dangerous catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So in the face of the miracle, in the face of the Lord's power, Peter realizes his sinfulness. He realizes that he cannot stand before Jesus' holiness. This echoes many of the stories that we see in the Old Testament where people respond to the presence of God, to an encounter with God, to an encounter with God's power in abject fear. And that fear isn't completely due to the power itself. Rather, that fear is primarily due to the realization that God's power also shows his holiness and, by extension, our sinfulness. Peter's humility here is certainly the right response. But his gut reaction to ask Jesus to leave is not the right response. He doesn't need to be separated from the Lord. He certainly does not need for the Lord to go away and leave him. Rather, he needs to follow the Lord. For Jesus to have departed from Peter would be for Peter to have been left in his sin, left to the judgment. And we can rightly say that ultimately hell is being separated from the Lord Jesus. Instead, Jesus tells Peter to not be afraid and gives him a new job. Peter and his companions are then obedient. They do what Jesus said. They leave everything and they follow the Lord. At this point, we could draw yet another false conclusion. We could conclude that the point of the story is that we should all leave everything behind and become evangelists or in some other way enter into vocational ministry. This is another exercise in missing the, in missing the point. The call to leave fishing was to Peter, Andrew, James, and John, not necessarily to you and I. Certainly some people are called to follow the Lord in a vocational way, to give up everything else for the ministry. And I expect one day probably I will be hanging up my appraiser's hat and uh, solely wear my priest's cap. Maybe one of my other priest's cap. It doesn't have to be this one necessarily. So. <laughs> I got a bunch of them. I love, I love my priest's caps. But, but we all know that that call is not for everyone. Nonetheless, we are all called to be followers of Jesus. We are all called to put him as our top priority. We are all called to hold the things of this world somewhat loosely, keeping our eyes upon the Lord. This is the first step to combating despair and desperation, that despair that St. Peter certainly must have felt coming home with no fish. We keep our main focus upon what ultimately matters, that is, following and serving the Lord Jesus. This is an area where the spiritual disciplines of prayer and worship, reading and studying the scripture, fasting, giving, etc., all of those things, uh, they, can, they can help us. We don't have the spiritual disciplines to give us a divine to-do list. That's not the point. They're not there so that we would earn brownie points before God. As we talked about in um, our, our Sunday school today, there is no extra credit with God. Rather, and, and we need to remember that Jesus does not need our disciplines. He does not need our service. He was doing just fine before we got here, and he's going to be doing just fine when we're gone. But rather, we're the ones who need the spiritual disciplines. 
God has given us the spiritual disciplines as a way of training our flesh so that it would not be in charge. And uh, I think in, in our tradition as Anglicans, we have something of a leg up on some of the other traditions in that the Book of Common Prayer gives us a time-tested guide to the disciplines. We don't need to worry about what that looks like. We have it in black and white in our tradition. Um, so it's, it, makes, it makes things a lot easier in my opinion. On top of that, though, we do see some other details in today's gospel passage that help our sanctification, especially with respect to combating despair. Notice that the passage begins with Jesus preaching to the crowd using St. Peter's boat. Jesus can use our jobs, our families, our schooling, our, our neighborly relationships, whatever that is. He can use our vocations as a way to advance his kingdom. All of us, regardless of our specific vocations, have a share in the gospel. We all have a share in spreading the kingdom of God. As you serve your neighbor in your vocation, whether that neighbor is your child or your next door neighbor or your coworker, as you serve your neighbor in your vocation, God is glorified. That means that even those times when you catch no fish, can be used by God. Second, notice that St. Peter exercises his faith in a small way before being called to exercise his faith in the big way. First, he lends Jesus his boat. He's not using it at this point. That's not such a big deal. But then he takes the boat out into the waters. Okay, again, that's a little inconvenient, but that's what he does, right? And then finally, he's called to leave it all behind which is a lot more difficult. When you're in despair, exercise your faith in the little ways and trust in the Lord. The Lord will use the little things to train us for the bigger ones. So we take it one step at a time. And throughout all of this, remember that God is in control. We prayed in our collect, Grant, O Lord, we beseech thee that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by, the, by, the, by thy governance that thy church may joyfully serve thee in all godly quietness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We see that God orders the course of the world, whether that's a catch of fish, the flow of appraisal orders, or the grand events on the world stage. Throughout it all, we are called to serve him with joy and with peace. In Christ's presence, our wants and our abundance both fade into the background. <clears throat> Once Peter comes to his knees, he's not thinking about fish anymore, whether it's the lack of fish or the superabundance of fish. He's just in Jesus' presence. We can't order the world. It's not our job. It's above our pay grade. We can't create peace of our own. But by turning to the Lord in prayer, we do end up seeing him ordering the world. And we also see the healing of our souls. Joy and peace are impossible when we have a divided heart, when we have divided priorities. It's only by turning to Christ that our hearts are made whole, that our priorities are properly ordered, and that despair, anxiety, and worry are all banished. And we say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven.